Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special treat of an episode that we are releasing for all of you today. Yeah, for no particular reason that has nothing to do with me being on an episode of Buffering. That comes out May 4th. We are releasing an episode of our Patreon-exclusive podcast, We Are the Gayers, in which your favorite queer aunt and uncle talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. So today you are going to listen to our episode on the episode of Buffy called Superstar, season four, episode whatever 16, 17, <laughs> something. It's an excellent episode of television, also an excellent episode of podcast. And I think you're all really going to love it. And if you do really love it, you should totally check out our patreon which is patreon.com slash the gaily prophet where you get an episode of this podcast every full moon because witches <laughs> yes and because we do whatever the fuck we want to if you join now you can listen to almost all of season four which because we wanted to we started we started with season four so enjoy <laughs> Yeah, and in honor of uh, being queer anarchists, we're like, we're doing this in the order of how much we love the seasons, taking turns, because I'm not going to put words in Jessie's mouth about season four being her favorite, but it is my favorite, so. It's definitely in my top three, I would say, of seasons. It's super fun. Yeah, and the other reason that we're releasing this in our main feed this week is because I am quote-unquote off i'm halfway off taking time off to um finish up the guidebook for my tarot deck so that i can order them and get them out into the world so there will be another episode of we are the gayers released on the escape from reality feed next week so you should you know tune in and check that out even if you aren't an escape from reality listener and you know if you're like what lark tarot deck somehow you missed that it's real. It's a thing. I'm going to order it super soon and it will be physically in the world and you can pre-order it on our website, which is hashtag ruthless.com. It's in our shop. And, you know, 2022 is a really good year to get into tarot because uh, everything is garbage, but magic is the is one of the healing tools of the people. So well said. <laughs> awesome. OK, yeah. So with that. Enjoy. You're going to have a great time. In every generation, there are chosen queers. We alone will stand against the cisheads, the straights, and the forces of darkness. We are the Gayers. Hello, and welcome to We Are the Gayers, a podcast where a couple of sorcerers talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I'm Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about season four, episode 17 superstar and witch uh the scoopies are out in the cemetery killing demons very poorly when they come across a nest of vampires feeding feeling a little bit outgunned they decide they need to call in jonathan cue newly edited theme montage featuring <laughs> jonathan being a badass i'm making us some wavy hand gestures that the listeners cannot see i think they translated it. into your voice i think you <laughs> channeled it really well Willow and Tara give us some exposition about the last two episodes, which brings us up to speed to the next scene where Buffy and Riley are still a little bit awkward with each other because of the whole Riley boning Buffy's body while Faith was in the driver's seat. Buffy goes to Jonathan for advice, and he actually gives her some solid advice in between signing autographs. I see you, overly excited black person, Karen. <laughs> uh, Jonathan also assists the initiative and uncovers some useful info about just how to stop and destroy Adam. After the initiative meeting, Jonathan then gives some even some good advice to Riley about Buffy. And to get these crazy kids back together, Jonathan caps it off with a literal big band song. Mm -hmm. Now that all of the interpersonal stuff is taken care of, the plot crashes in as poor traumatized and scratched up Karen rushes into the bronze. Back at Jonathan's mansion, Karen describes the demon that attacked her and Jonathan, well, tries to just play it off as a random, like, animal attack. 
It's revealed that Jonathan has a scar in the same shape as the weird sign on the demon's forehead. Buffy finds it a little sus that Jonathan is just blowing off the third of this demon, but at least her and Raleigh are good again. Poor Tara gets attacked by the demon, and now Buffy is officially on the case. She stops by to talk to Anya and go through Xander's stuff because she wants to talk to Anya about how it's weird, right? About Jonathan and Anya being the perfect person to talk about reality-changing magic gives Buffy the idea that there's some weird-ass magic going on. She tries to tell the Scoobies while they wait for Jonathan, but no one is buying it. Thankfully, Riley slips up to support his boo, and Buffy uses Jonathan's swimsuit calendar as evidence that Jonathan and the demon are connected. Jonathan walks in, and he admits to everyone that the demon fucks him up. Buffy suggests that her and Jonathan go after the demon. Meanwhile, back at Giles, the Scoobies manage to find out the spell Jonathan used, which, surprise, has a cost. And that, that the terrible rug burn monster is connected with whatever magic. Anyway, Jonathan realizes the gig is up and lets Buffy do her thing, but he manages to land, to land the killing blow on this terrible demon and thus breaking the entire spell. All right. Um, yes. And, you know, brief reminder, as always, we're spoiling everything. All the things. Fully spoiled. And now we're going to enter the bronze, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. I love that they changed the credits. Like, the level (laughs) of dedication to the gag. Like, it's so good. It is. It is really good. Uh, I also especially love how they steal the, like, walking in the alley with the billowing coat at the end, which is basically the uh, in the exact same way the Angel of the Series theme montage. Yeah, I know. It's really <laughs> and I'm good. like, LOL. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really great. Uh, <laughs> I just have to point out that there's a, re- there's a bit of a reoccurring joke about watch out for Southpaws mm-hmm. in this episode. Watch out for people who are left-handed. And I... Is that what that uh, means? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, and I just want to point out that Spike is a lefty. He oh. finds primarily his left hand. And so just leave that information. <laughs> Interesting. Two things that I never knew that I just learned. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, uh, my next note is just RIP beautiful stained glass ceiling. I know, right? Yeah. I mean, I know it's sugar glass and it's not a real stained glass ceiling, but like, it just, I don't know. I lost a little respect for Jonathan in the moment that he decided to crash through that. Listen, someone at the Sunnydale Historical Society is going to wake up to like the worst phone call. (laughs) It's true. It's true. That's. Yeah, historical society. I'm like, who would be the people who are really into the like architecture and preservation of the historic stuff in this? Someone said Springfield. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds right. I love how out of everyone, Anya, I think, is the one who seems like the least changed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Anya really does feel just like just on she's just on yeah she's so yeah. great i love her so yeah. much yeah i have like a whole ode to her in the cemetery <laughs> yeah just there's yeah there's some really good just anya in this in this episode that yeah. i really appreciate uh i wanted to point out did you notice that willow and tara are making this jonathan collage on tara's wall and there's randomly just a picture of a mountain lion <laughs> Wow, I did not, I did not, I did not pause on that. Maybe I should have. Um, yeah, no, it's on the, if you want to look ever, anyone, it's on the left-hand side, I think. And it's like, just like a, it's big. And it's the face of like a mountain lion, I think. It's just all Jonathan and then just, and then just, <laughs> I don't know, it has to mean something. Maybe someone knows why there's a mountain lion there. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he fought a mountain lion once. <laughs> probably anyway it's your turn <laughs> um I, fe- I feel like i feel like a third of the jokes in this like the visual gags in this episode is just the comparison of how much shorter 
Danny Strong the actor is from literally anyone on set and like not like in a mean way where it's just like really funny where it's like these big buff military dudes like they part and then it's like like Danny Strong like walks up and it's just like (laughs) he's like he like reaches their belly button because these dudes are so tall (laughs) yep it is really great yeah how tall is he did you look that up Ooh, I did not look that up because the dude who plays Riley is like 6'4", right? I feel like if I had to guess, I feel like Danny Strong has to be like 5'3 or 5'4". He's 5'2". Is that the same height as Nicole? That sounds right. I think it is because I'm like 5'4 and I'm a couple of inches taller than she is. And he's like Buffy's a little bit taller. She's than... wearing heels. That's true. She's wearing heels. But or generally she's wearing heels. But yeah, you're right. I like that you pointed out that it doesn't feel mean-spirited, which I think is a hard thing to pull off in situations like that. She's 5'3", by the by. It just, yeah, it just is like, this is silly uh, and is not punching down, which is nice. Yeah, I feel like if anything else, it just sort of highlights the ridiculousness of how tall all the initiative dudes are. Definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, yeah, it is. It is pretty impressive that it like doesn't feel mean, but just because like also part of it is that Jonathan isn't the butt of the jokes in this episode as he often is in the first. I guess I'm not familiar enough with season one, but definitely season two and three, mm-hmm. he's just often in the episode to be the butt of the joke. Right. <laughs> like poor Jonathan. Yeah. Mark Lucas is six two. Sorry, I need to stop looking up how tall people are. <laughs> But he is a full foot taller than Danny Strong, and that is a lot. <laughs> yes, it really is. <laughs> truly, it truly is. Uh, yeah, the bit where he's like, did anyone feel too tall? I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when you're uh, 6'2", you walk around feeling too tall, like, a lot of the time anyway. I mean, even that scene where he's dancing with Buffy. She's, like, got her face pressed to his nipple, basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're too tall. I mean, he's almost a foot taller than her, so. Yeah, I'm about to say, yeah. Anyway. Uh, all right. Let's talk about Anya and shrimp, shall we? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Do you get the impression that she's pro or against shrimp? I don't know, but she clearly has strong feelings about shrimp if she's really harping on the world without shrimp or with or, it's or just only shrimp. shrimp. <laughs> uh, an only shrimp world sounds positively miserable, I think. Yeah, it's really funny. I always think of, I mean, besides the phrase world without shrimp is already very funny, but there's a really like old longstanding like Buffy fanfic award mm-hmm. where one of the awards is like world without shrimp and it's like the best au fanfiction nice oh that's so good <laughs> i know right so i just always think of that and i'm just like lol speaking on anya i Wait, too no, we put... can't move on from this without noting her pawns prawns pun <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think she must li- i think she must like shrimp potentially or she just loves puns probably she likes shrimp i feel like there's probably stuff later where we see Anya enjoying shrimp I feel like yeah I feel like I can't think of any right now apparently this joke about the world that's just shrimp comes back in like season five of Angel the series according to the buck the Buffy wiki interesting um yes sorry what were you gonna say uh just that I too would put money on Anya in a fist fight between her and Xander oh yes (laughs) definitely especially in this uh in this alternate universe we see xander extra unable to be helpful with a stake so yeah everyone being depowered really affects xander (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah xander just like becomes peak xander uh my last thing in this section is also about xander but really about giles just the part where xander sets that book on fire uh And Giles goes, Xander, don't speak Latin in front of the books. Uh, One of of the best lines, I feel like. It's like such a small gag, but it's just, it's so good. It's so good. It's so unnecessary, (laughs) but it's so perfect. 
<laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, so I have two more things. Okay. I guess following on your point is that actually the whole that like obviously the setup that the setup for that gag is great, but I'm also kind of like Riley, you've been around the Scoobies for how long, and you're still like magic. What could magic? It's like, bro, what? <laughs> You're basically dating a comic book hero <laughs> like, or a folklore hero. I guess maybe folklore hero. Yeah, maybe he's bo- the comic book hero them. and she's the folklore yeah. hero. Yeah. I think it's hard for him. He, I don't know why, but it seems like magic is like his breaking point when it comes to all of the the stuff that he experiences as a result of, you know, not just Buffy, but just like the initiative in general. Which for me seems strange if you also go to, like, religiously go to church. So I'm like... Agreed. Everything, things in the Bible and Jesus, that totally makes sense. But magic being real, that is where you draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So my, here's my very last thing. Is that Adam in this episode sounds like a white dude in a cult. <laughs> I know, he's so funny. <laughs> Which, for <laughs> listeners that don't listen to Escape from Reality, we literally just recorded an episode of Escape from Reality about uh, someone's friend being in a cult. <laughs> so it's very fresh in my mind. And I'm like... You know who he sounds like is the uh, big deal spiritualist that we made that episode making fun of forever ago. Uh, our like first episode of of which weekly for patreon we listened to that dude's podcast the like white dread dude yeah and he adam sounds a lot like that guy like i'm the most awakest to wear a specialist boy nothing can get by me in my awake aware specialness yeah i am very activated i'm on a different plane Mm -hmm. of existence than than (laughs) y'all I just feel like Adam's like, I'm aware of every Adam, every Adam of my being. And I'm just like, what? No. Yeah, he's ready to start a cult for sure. <laughs> I mean, he is trying to start a cult, I think, with the vampires. Yeah, I so. think so. Yeah. Anyway, it just makes me laugh. So I'm just like, this is, that is definitely a direction that, this could go i wish they would have ran more with that it would have been very funny i know imagine like adam running like a boot camp for demons where they're all like doing mantras or whatever and like doing calisthenics they're all like wearing <laughs> white robes and like making jam to sell like at night on the like side of the road or yeah something. exactly Welcome to the cemetery where we talk about character development. All right. So as we've, or I've mentioned a couple times, I feel like all the characters get like a little goofier in the Jonathan universe to like help him seem cooler. But I really feel like Xander just becomes profoundly more himself. <laughs> like it's like all of the pretenses of who he's trying to show us that he is get stripped away and we're left with who we all knew Xander was the whole time, which is this like sort of hapless, goofy, not very interesting or fun dude. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit of the like stereotype of the like nineties nerdy guy. Yeah. But who is somehow inexplicitly like has the hottest girlfriend. I know. I know. <laughs> yep. Um so I actually I'm glad you brought Xander up. He's one of the two people that I have in this section because I want to talk about how we really get a lot of Xander's never really totally addressed bisexuality in this episode. Yeah, we do. And I mean, part of it is sort of wrapped in this sort of like hero worship of Jonathan and like Xander sort of being upset about living in a world where Jonathan isn't the best at everything. Mm Mm-hmm. But we also just have that scene where, like, both of them are watching him sing. And it's just like, and I was like, we, got, we should go and have sex now. And he's like, yep. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> You're both in the same wavelength about watching Jonathan has gotten you hot. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think part of the spell is that everyone is sexually attracted to Jonathan, which I think also makes Jonathan canonically bisexual. Which, I mean, I don't think there's, I don't really think that, like, the idea of, someone who doesn't have any bisexual tendencies is real like in the world but i think 
we see it affecting Xander more profoundly than it's affecting like Riley or Giles, for instance. So yeah. I don't think it's just the spell at all. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's just the spell at all, but I think there's just a sort of tendency in this show where we get hints and like jokes that are like clearly pointing to Xander's attracted to men, but he like doesn't want to like really own up or admit to it. Yeah. You know? Totally. Um, And like we kind of get, and we get it in this episode where he's like maybe the most blatant about it that we get mm-hmm. about his like sexual attraction to Jonathan. And like, right, like everyone's sexually attracted to Jonathan. I mean, like, no one is surprised that Giles has this, like, swimsuit count. Right. <laughs> they were, like, shocked at the idea that he wouldn't have it. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Everyone has that. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, even after the fact, like, obviously I had this later, but, like, Riley is, like, the thing I can't stop thinking about is Jonathan's swimsuit calendar. And he's, like, not in a good way. And we're, like, okay, I'm sorry. It was a spell that led you to your bisexual awakening. But, like, in a good way, Danny Strong is hot. And, like, those pictures were great. So it's fine, Riley. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that we we just see it really here on display, you know. And it's, I think, maybe supposed to treat it as a joke, unfortunately. But... I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's a mean spirited joke though. I think the joke is that he was mad at Anya for saying Jonathan's name in bed and then he also clearly is like sexually aroused by Jonathan and wants to go have sex. So I I think that the joke is like the the joke is not about the idea of Xander being attracted to Jonathan so much as that like he was jealous and then he can't even he doesn't have a leg to stand on with that jealousy. This is true. I thought that the moment with Riley and Jonathan where Jonathan's like, you know, Buffy's probably worried that you would like be comparing basically. And sorry, listeners who didn't just rewatch it. Jonathan implies that Buffy might be concerned that Riley would be comparing having sex with Faith to having sex with Buffy and would be concerned because Faith has had a lot of sex and like, you know, is experienced and whatever very forthright and knows what she wants but riley's reaction to that like he's like spluttering he's just like she she can't think that i would never i she has to know it's only her that i want <laughs> like catches himself almost saying love i don't know he's just like really adorable in that moment and i i like it a lot uh yeah this is actually i have bits this in other parts of the episode but there's a lot of really good Riley in this episode. Yeah. And like, because of his character, you wholeheartedly believe it's like, you you wouldn't compare the situation because you'd be like, it wasn't Buffy. Like, what the fuck? Like, he's he's clearly beating himself up about it already. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, oh. Yeah, totally. It is like that. <laughs> he's sweet. Once again, yeah. season four Riley is good Riley. Yeah, no, I definitely think so. I feel like, actually, I feel like it more in this rewatch than I ever have watching season four previously. Me too. I feel like maybe being in a healthy relationship helps. Yeah, no, that makes sense for sure. So, I don't know. Yeah, anyway. This isn't about my character study. This is about (laughs) (laughs) It's your turn. Um, so the only other person I have in this section is actually Jonathan. Okay, cool. Let's do it. So I find Jonathan's sadness and loneliness very relatable, mm-hmm. even though he's done this very dubious, uh, immoral thing of magically brainwashing everyone, question mark, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Which is not not the way to go about making and keeping friends right you know but i still feel empathy for him because it's 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 hard especially if you're in this small town and you're like a socially awkward young person which is like jonathan what just leave sunnydale yeah Yeah. get out of this place where like half the half of your graduating class that wasn't murdered by a big snake is still here yeah but yeah, trying to take shortcuts to that is not not how that works. No, 
No, I one of the things that I came away from this episode feeling is that I kind of wish that he had joined the Scoobies after this episode, you know? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a very impressive bit of magic he's he's doing. Yeah, he's a really he's a really good witch. And like, I know part of it is probably part of the spell, but the advice that he gives both Ruffy, ugh, Jesus, both Buffy and <laughs> Riley is so solid. And and I feel like part of that kind of uh, empathy and intuitiveness is not just the spell for him. Right. And a part of me is like, dude, you would have been a very good like counselor or like someone to do like peer therapy or whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. Like a, or counseling or something and so it's, it's like it's like it's like a super bummer yeah that he becomes a villain instead right i mean the least villainy of our villains but yeah i think i think he would have been a, a great addition to the scoobies he like the amount that we see him being capable of when he is part of the trio is like oh yeah you actually you like bring a lot to the table i don't think that he should I don't think that it would be like, oh, you like proved yourself worthy by doing this terrible, really immoral spell. But I just feel like there was an opportunity with that conversation at the end for like a relationship to form that could have led to him being one of them. Yeah. Or I think it definitely could have would have been good, especially since it seems like Jonathan and Xander would get along really well. Because since Xander is also into that stood in the same like nerdy sci-fi shit. Yeah. <laughs> I think Xander would be, would actually feel incredibly threatened by Jonathan because Jonathan is into the same stuff as him, but also has like magical, magic powers. And also is, I think just like smarter than Xander. His problem solving skills are much more finely honed. Yeah. Which we see in this episode. Yeah. That just occurred to me because part of it, and we'll get more into this in season six, but I kind of think that a little bit, Giles maybe should have stepped in more in Willow's education. So maybe she didn't totally lose her way in season six. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, especially considering that Giles is unemployed at this point, that you would think it would be under the saving the world, making sure no one opens the goddamn hell mouth to, even if you're not going to try to like gather all of these wayward witches together to make sure they're not, changing the unit like changing their fabric of reality or like summoning shit or whatever or getting a weird addiction lol Mm -hmm. would be to get them together to get them an actual teacher Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be like magic has consequences also you're on a hell mouth for a little love of god don't do dark magic yeah totally because like i mean i feel like with some teaching and some support like jonathan could have easily been a hero in his own right as opposed to getting radicalized through reddit and becoming an incel or whatever yeah um yeah so my last person that i want to talk about is anya this is maybe her best episode so far also maybe the most screen time she's had since her first introduction she's great i love her so much uh obviously everything that she does in this episode is like beautiful but I think the best part is when Buffy's like, Anya, let me like run some things by you. And Anya's like, aha, I have clocked that what you need right now is validation. And she's like (laughs) trying, she's like, buck up, you, you kill the best. (laughs) Which honestly was very great. It's so good. It's so good. She just does such a great job. And I just think she's so wonderful. Yeah, and I always it just it doesn't happen nearly as much as I would as that if I was writing the show it would have happened. But again, Anya has a thousand years of demon experiences. Go to her t- for more things in their course of figuring out your saving the world mm-hmm. business. You know? And yeah, this this must be an episode where they sort of more solidified her character because it is it is very good. Yeah. Like her delivery and just like is like every line that she says to Buffy is perfect. It's so good. And then her, when Jonathan interrupts their secret meeting and Anya's just like, here's exactly what we're doing. And everyone's like, Anya. And she's like, 
what like and she means it and i that's the thing that i love about her a lot it also made me remember like i don't know why this is such a strong memory for me but like at some point when i was a kid i was with my dad and step family and we were getting tickets to something where it was like a certain price under 12 and then like 13 and up was more money and my stepsister had recently turned 13 and I was like standing there when my dad got the tickets and he was like five five under 12 tickets or whatever and I was like no like she's 13 now and he did the sort of like look at me askance that they do and was like be quiet and I was like exactly as confused as Anya is in this moment where I was just like what are you doing like I what are you doing which I think about now and I'm like parents are so weird where they're like lying is bad and then they're like how dare you (laughs) tell the truth when I'm trying to lie to save money yeah and I feel like the social norms of when it is and is not appropriate to lie is so arbitrary and ridiculous ridiculous yeah so so yes i just find anya to be very wonderful and i'm so glad that we got so much of her in this episode hell yeah welcome to april fool where we talk about fashion and what a fashion episode we have there are so many there are so many different looks and outfits, both good and bad in this episode. It's a, it's truly a mixed bag. I know. I got to a point where I was like, oh, I've written down I think everything everyone has worn. And so I tried to <laughs> whittle it down to like just the best and worst. We'll see. We'll see. I got I got mostly the good things and then a couple of the th- the things that I was like, either this is very outrageously terrible or I'm just like very confused by it. Mm-hmm. All right, where do you want to start? We'll start with Buffy. Okay. Who maybe has the most outfit changes. I think everyone changes at least three times. Maybe four. Um, I did not I did not hate her black and red sweater from the beginning of this episode. I did. Just the 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 print of it or or her in red in general. I don't have any problem with her in red. Uh I don't like animal prints, like just in general. So the fact that this is like faux cowhide and is like weirdly shiny was not my wait it's from the from the very beginning at the very beginning of the episode yeah it's like blotchy red oh, it's, was... it's okay. cow print oh yeah does that change how you feel about it a little bit i didn't realize it was cow print <laughs> yeah i also just didn't like like the structure of it i felt like it was too blocky but yeah the cowhide was really the thing that i was like no I think the thing that there were two things that I was, I think, more upset about, which is the like shiny white jacket she's wearing, like towards the middle of the episode. It's so weird. It yeah, it's it's very strange. And then I think towards the end, she's wearing like a red tank top and then a like mesh green sh- like mesh that goes over it that has ruffles that three like three lines of ruffles. And I'm like, what? Why? What? What is happening with this outfit? Why did you get this to put on Sarah Michelle Gellar? Why would you do that? Is that the one that she's wearing under the leopard print coat? I think so. Which was already like... A lot. Like, what is this leopard print coat doing? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It's... It's so much. I did like her little black dress when she on her and Riley in the bronze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super that shape, very of its time, but worked yes. on her. Yeah, it. <laughs> yes and yes. <laughs> um. All right. So I, uh, really weirdly, maybe not weirdly, Anya at the bronze in that same uh scene. She looks like she's ready to go to prom. Like she's wearing like a floor length, like sparkly tulle skirt with like a matching tank top, but she looks amazing. It looks really good on her. And it doesn't look weird. Or maybe it's just to me who used to wear prom dresses as clothes. But like, I don't feel like I look at her and I'm like, why is that what you're wearing to the bronze? I just am like, you look hot. Awesome. I mean, everyone's not everyone. Some people are sort of dressed up, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it makes sense for the scene. 
Yeah. And yeah, I mean, she looks great in it. Isn't it like, is it like an olive green? I'm trying to... It's sort of somewhere between the olive and seafoam spectrum. Sage? Maybe. Which I feel like on her show, already full of earth tones. I'm like, bye. It, it does it does work for Anya. Yeah, she looks hot. Um, speaking of Anya, I still don't know how I feel about the like, the like fuzzy, kind of like baseball tee sweater that she's wearing at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm like looking at it, I'm like it's fuzzy, so it's a sweater, but then it has like a print of something like down, kind of by her hip. Yeah, which was really popular then. Like, prints that covered the whole thing that you were wearing. Like, a scene. Yeah. Yeah. I also was very torn about it. It's like, when they showed her just from, like, the shoulders up, I was like, ooh, that works. And then it was like, oh, (laughs) go ahead. Because the color combination isn't bad. And I'm like, all right, you're wearing a sweater, it's fine. And then you see that, like, I think it's, like, ships. And I'm just like, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Um, did you have any other Anya ones? I don't have any other Anya. Okay. So Tara <sighs> is always wearing something unfortunate. Like. This like all blue. <laughs> it's I mean, a jean skirt is a hard thing to pull off in the best of times. A jean it's like, it looks like someone took some Jinkos and then <laughs> turned them into actually a skirt. Yeah. And then she's wearing like a shirt that's not denim, but is the exact same color as denim. It's bad. I feel like that scene where it's like Buffy and Willow and Tara and they're like walking on campus. I like almost got a screenshot of it because I was watching my computer because I'm just like everyone's outfit in this scene is bad. (laughs) Yeah. Tara really takes the cake, though, I think, in terms of in terms of badness. Yeah. Because I'm just like they... It's like they just don't ever, I think it's maybe, I don't know if it's season five, they just her better or season six, but it's just, it, it doesn't get, it doesn't get good for her for a while. Yeah. Uh, I have one more person. Okay. Which is our anti-hero Jonathan mm-hmm. looks very good in the suits and tuxes that he's wearing. And it reminded me that he's actually in a couple episodes of Mad Men wearing some vintage suits or they're mm. like vintage 1960s haircut and it really works for him yeah so yeah clothes that fit and hair that styled can do wonders for how you move in your body and participate in the world that's why it's like it's almost i i think i literally cringe at the end of the episode when he when he goes back to his i guess og haircut and you're like oh no i think it's the same haircut it's just it he put some stuff in and pushed it up and it looked great and then he just like let it be yeah let it hang hang down and it's just like this this does not look good no it doesn't more body is more better almost always i agree except when it's buffy's crimped hair of something is not right correct (laughs) correct not Which always better. In, <laughs> uh, At least there's there's one scene where she's pulled back and it's like one crimped tendril where it doesn't look. I think it's curled more than crimped. I think it's better because it's a different texture. Yeah. Um, Jonathan also wears really good eye makeup this whole episode. Or not the whole, not the end, but yeah. like he's just killing it with the eyeliner mascara combo. Yeah. Once again, everyone looks better in black eyeliner. Everyone, yeah. please take this free fashion advice. <laughs> um, all right. So I have two more things. Okay. One, Xander wears a like yellow and orange tie-dye button down open over a white tank top. Like he's an egg. It's terrible. Okay. Okay. I... <sighs> I didn't think it was terrible because I 110% would have worn that in high school. And I think I probably did wear an outfit similar to that, which is an open button up over like a tank top. Wearing an open button up over a tank top is not in and of itself a bad thing to do at all. Like you can definitely pull that off if it's But in that color combination, I would have also. You would have? Well, that's sad. I'm sorry. (laughs) I look excellent in yellow though. Okay. So as brown people usually do. I don't think that the oh, a yellow orange tie dye button down is something that I could ever endorse on anyone. 
it's, I think it's back in. Like, since tie-dye is back in in a way that I, I find, honestly, a little bit... I still haven't seen anything tie-dyed that's, like, new that I'm like, yes, I would buy that. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I really disliked it. I apologize for insulting your high school wardrobe a little no, bit. No, it's fine. I was just... I was a weird high schooler. Like, it's, that's why I'm like, yep, I would wear, I would wear that. <laughs> and then I have Willow. I have one great Willow. The scene where she is with Tara when whatever mysterious, terrible, like, after effects of having been attacked by the monster that we'll talk about later are happening. She's just wearing dark jeans and a red sweater with, like, no shit on it. It fits. There's no bells on, like, the sleeves don't bell out. Like, everything just, like, fits. She looks so good. She looks super hot. Wait, is it the same sweater that she wears later in the episode where it's like the last scene at Giles where it has like a like a randomly a white like rectangle on like the forearm <laughs> is it ribbed I, I wasn't paying attention I think it's ribbed it's probably the same it's color. red yeah and she like unfortunately has like a pink t-shirt on under it that you can see yeah I thought that was not a not unfortunate sweater yeah because again what makes ribbed great is that it is form-fitting mm-hmm. because it's the the weave of it mm-hmm. can't go wrong with the with the rib sweater. I'm wearing a rib sweater right now. Also, <laughs> it's, you wearing a black sweater, so that's why I did not notice that. I'm always wearing black. <laughs> there you go. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's why we often see you know um, incredibly buff Forrest and Riley often wearing rib sweaters. Mm-hmm. That's true. Okay, so I liked that look. What I didn't like is what Willow is wearing at the very end of the episode. Which I tried to write down to just like I tried to describe it in words and I failed. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to put it in the chat and then you and I are going to try to describe it together. All right. I'm up for this challenge. Great. Oh, wow. What is going on with that top? Jesus Christ. Okay. So it's like a sweater vest. Yeah. It looks like it has like a print of a like medieval tapestry and like yes it looks like it has like a medieval like goat there's kind of like a mandala looking thing but yeah it could be it could be that or like it's like a zodiac oh yeah it could be because yeah it's like that does look like capricorn doesn't it oh that is definitely capricorn okay so it's a like a weird like medieval zodiac artwork on the front and it's a sweater vest and she's wearing a pink... Is she wearing another sweater? No, I think she's wearing a long sleeve t-shirt. <laughs> oh, because the collar of this sweater vest is pink and wide. It's so wide. Like, it's, like, amorphously shaped. Is, is yet It looks very floppy. It doesn't... I don't even know if it's, like, actually, like, knit. Because it looks like it's the design is printed on, but then the collar and the armholes are, like, sweater knit that have been sewn onto it. It's so bizarre. I don't know if I've ever seen a stranger article of clothing. Here, wait. I'm going to send you another one we can add to the to the show notes. That's a little bit clearer. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely putting this in the show notes. I have to say Tara's not wearing a terrible thing. It's true, she's not. And I can't tell what kind of skirt or pants Willow was wearing. But yeah, that top has a lot going on. Willow's also wearing what looks like a plastic bead bracelet. Yeah, as she should be. <laughs> They're just trying really hard to, like, make Allison Hannigan not look like the complete babe that she is. I guess so. I don't know. It's like, remember how, well, it was a nerd. It's like. Yeah. Is she, though? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you guys. Doesn't mean you have to do this thing. Yeah. Welcome to the Hellmouth, where we talk about things that are fucked up. Okay, so, uh, so both of, both of these are sort are about the sort of fallout of Faith sleeping with Riley mm-hmm. in Buffy's body, and the first up, the first off one is we really just do kind of get. I don't want to say like to the heart of one of Buffy's like own sort of sexual insecurities but i think a little bit where you know you know you know worried about like riley have having sex with 
faith and not realizing it wasn't her, but also kind of worrying about like the sex that they had, mm-hmm. which we know is just, they just had like P and V like missionary style sex. It was fine, mm-hmm. you know, but it seems like Buffy kind of can't help but compare herself to faith, especially since like, this is like her third and thus far best sexual experience she's had with a partner. Right, third partner, but also like her third time ever having sex was the first time she had sex with Riley. So yeah, yeah, and which seems like kind of heavy to have in a very jokey like episode like this is to just like really just get get the stake in the heart of some of Buffy's sexual insecurities. Yeah, Damn. I think it's the perfect episode for it, though, honestly, because like everything is so sort of silly and like not what we're used to and so we're able to address it head on without it having to take up a bunch of space yeah so it's not like it just like goes unsaid but it also doesn't maybe need like its whole own episode like it might otherwise yeah um and then sort of along the lines is that i was like reading something else about the episode and i realized that it was weird that what is never discussed is any kind of trauma that Raleigh might have around sleeping with Faith and not realizing it and then like having this like fallout. Because mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely some, definitely some iffy consent happening there. Yeah, for sure. And just, you know, and as I mentioned earlier, like, I, I think he definitely is beating himself up for not realizing that it was Buffy. Um, in this, again, very ex generating circumstances of his existence on the hell now like right why would you ever think that you know right um but like we i mean it's never just talked about if he has any other kind of trauma around that besides like deeply hurting buffy yeah you know because he was also there for this right and had and was played by faith also you know yeah i mean i it would it would regardless of how riley feels about it what faith did is definitely a form of sexual assault which, as we've mentioned before, is unfortunately kind of an MO for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's a really good good point. I keep thinking about in the like King Arthur folklore, right? There's that dude who wants King Uther, right? Wants to have sex with someone else's wife and gets like a spell to be able to look like her husband. And then mm-hmm. isn't I think there's some sort of like curse on the child that results, right? Or is that child Arthur? That child is Arthur. Okay. I'm like reaching into the very depths of my brain for this information. So, but I don't think there's any, like even in that lore that's from like for fucking ever ago, it's very clear that like what he's doing is deeply immoral because it's a lie, you know? You can't consent to have sex with someone that you don't know you're having sex with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, part of it is that I, the show is not ready to have that kind of conversation about Riley's feeling around that. Right. And I think number two is that given Riley's character, I don't know. I think he'd be the person to be like, well, no, Buffy is the one that's the most traumatized situation. Like, not me. Right. You know? Of course. But yeah, this is not going to cause him to have any trust issues in other relationships or later on. Of course not. It's fine. He's going to marry the next hot lesbian he meets oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i love how you i and like never occurred to me to read his his wife as queer but i'm here for it <laughs> that's weird honestly she's so gay <laughs> i feel like usually when i rewatch season five i think i usually skip that episode because it's very awkward that's season six is that season six yeah i might have only seen episode once then I usually don't rewatch season six because it makes me sad. So fair, yeah. I remember her being very hot. She's so. hot, and she like calls Riley Rye, and like I don't know. She's very gay. Anyway, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> For now. Welcome to the Magic Box, where we rant about stuff. Um, I just want to 
this is, I guess, not really a rant, but we've been, like, talking about wanting people to get therapy. We always talk about wanting people to get therapy. And, like, Jonathan gives Buffy and Riley therapy. Like, really good therapy. With, I mean, and you pointed out earlier, he's very good at it. Like, I, I, I don't know if this is the best advice that anyone gives Buffy in this entire show, but it, it kind of it might feels be, like yeah. it. <laughs> you know? I mean, this might only be maybe second to the, I don't know. I don't know if it's the lie to me speech from season two or whatever thing Giles tells Buffy after Angel goes evil. Mm. But I guess it's more related to sort of like her work. This is like related to like Buffy as a person and like actually an outside source is like, I know both of you guys and I really am invested in you guys having a like healthy relationship without any of the baggage that the Scoobies usually bring when they're trying to give Buffy advice. Yeah. Which, as we see in the show, of course, the show is often awful. Yeah, totally. And has just a whole one of those airport carts that go to the uh, go to the plane amount of baggage. Uh-huh. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'm just like, damn, Jonathan, you should you should be giving you should go to school for psychology <laughs> or not, whatever. But, like, you could be doing this, man. Yeah, I agree. He's great. All right, what do you have? These are sort of interconnected, but I just want to say that we see the beginning of the episode, Jonathan, where, like, Willow's like, Jonathan, I pulled up a schematic to the cemetery for you. Why do we never see them do that ever again? <laughs> and I know for some of the cemeteries, Buffy probably just knows them by heart, having been patrolling them since she was 16. But it seems like if you want to know if there are any weird tunnels, like, if there's, like, built on top of a thing you might want to have the og cemetery plans i guarantee you that probably the springs hill historical society or whatever friends of the cemetery has that information somewhere they've done it before i think they do it in season one i think i have not seen much of season one okay that's probably why i know that it happens at least one other time and then it would just seem useful because buffy you would know which parts of the cemetery they're putting newly dead people into versus the historical bits where just people who have been dead since like the 1800s right which you probably already know sort of by memory by now anyway but yeah i did think it was funny that it was implied that willow was like hacking to get that information which is definitely the kind of information that the historical society makes very publicly available on their website that hasn't been updated since like 2002. Yeah. Well, wait, so this is, is this 2002? So it hasn't been updated since it was built in 1997 or whatever. Yeah. It's definitely a GeoCities website. There might be a like clip of us, like a MIDI of a song when you click on the, the homepage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if you don't recognize any of the words I just said, then you should, Ask your parents slash use Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, um, that's definitely information. Because yeah, didn't you pull up when you used to live across here from a cemetery that like all information about it was like on the website of the friends of the cemetery yep. or whatever? Yeah, you can get like maps and like all sorts of all sorts of information. They're very excited for you to have it, especially when they're fancy cemeteries like like that one that Buffy's at or all the ones in Sunnydale it seems like I know they all have like really beautiful old like gravestones and stuff none of the like newer ones that you see if you're like me and go for walks in the cemetery (laughs) like you do like I do a lot yeah (laughs) um we need to talk about the fact that Anya and Xander are having this fight about whether or not she moaned Jonathan's (laughs) name in bed (laughs) In public. In public in front of their friends. They sure are. No. Oh my god. That is an at-home conversation. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, I feel like Riley and Buffy's looks of sort of astonished horror are in fact appropriate. (laughs) Totally. Yes. Like, guys, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And then Riley's like, are they going to be okay? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, no, they're not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they get to be okay for a while still. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else do you have here? 
speaking of useful information that we don't get until weirdly this episode is when Jonathan just strolls into the initiative to be like their big gun, which they clearly need mm-hmm. because he's like, I looked up Maggie Walsh's old schematics for, for Adam. Did, did literally no one think to do that before now? I don't think anyone else could have. Fair. I like, I think he had access to it because of the spell. Interesting. I, I don't think that they could have defeated Adam if Jonathan hadn't done this spell. That's my theory. Because I don't think they ever would have been able to learn about his uranium core. Oh. I think you're right, because you're right. Why wouldn't they have access to that information beforehand? Right. That would have been step one was like look through her look through her files. Um, and he said she buried the information, but like he could tell that there was something missing and he had extrapolated what was there. So it's possible that like it was just the super smarts that the spell gave him that allowed him to mm-hmm. understand like what wasn't there, you know? Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. Because it's almost an obvious step to take. Right. Definitely. Especially because it's like he like jokingly says, like, why doesn't Adam eat? And you're like, where's this going? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then you're like, oh, shit, we actually desperately need that information. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have anything else here? I do. I just have a couple of things that I wanted to point out were sort of my favorite details about Jonathan's importance in this world. Okay, great. All right. First off uh, is the poster in the back of Riley's door, which is usually a sport, like literally about different balls you use in sports. Mm -hmm. And today it is a poster of Jonathan doing a slam dunk. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also a series of posters on the wall of the Java hut, like little tiny ones advertising something that Jonathan has done. Mm-hmm. And then also Buffy giving Jonathan a class protector. Award. I know that <laughs> one was like, tragic. Oh like you stole her award, sir, that you gave her. That's so rude. <laughs> it is rude, but it, and it is an excellent detail though. Yeah. Definitely. In case you don't remember that he was in that scene. Right. Also, he starred in The Matrix. <laughs> and then the end, they're like, who did star in The Matrix? And I'm like, is this a world with, without Keanu Reeves? Because that would be a travesty. <laughs> Welcome to Spike's Crypt, where we talk about sexy stuff. My first note here, and maybe my favorite note here, is the way that Spike's Slayer crush has just fully transferred to Jonathan. (laughs) It's so good. The sexual tension between them is so hot. It's like, oh my god, I am so here for it. And Spike gets to be like evil in the shadows again for this episode. It's like, it is very good. There is a lot of sexual tension. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the part where like Buffy gets rough with him and he's like, wait a second, you don't do that. And he's immediately like, oh, now I'm interested in you too. And you can totally see Spike's wheels turning and he's like, two slayers. Like, yes, let's all go back to my crypt. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Once again, only a few scenes and they're just top notch. Truly. Yep. My first thing is just. Uh, about shirtless Riley. I just have shirtless w- Riley and then wolf whistle. Yeah. <laughs> I have, he should always be shirtless in my notes. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, he looks great. He looks also excellent in the sweater he's wearing when him and Buffy are at the bronze. Mm hmm. Because he's clearly not wearing a shirt underneath it. Yeah. I feel like. I'm pro not wearing shirts under sweaters, personally. My So I talked about this already, uh, just how horny everyone is for Jonathan and how I think that makes it very clear that he's bisexual because he, you know, blanketed that part of the spell. Uh, but I particularly liked when we see the cop being very into him. <laughs> when I heard it was you, I just came right over and was yeah. like... Yeah, and Jonathan's right. like... I have it under control and the cop, just the way that the cop says, okay, feels very like, very sexualized. And I was like, nice into this. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think Jonathan is bisexual. Cause I feel like 
him and Andrew clearly have a crush on what's his name in season Warren. six. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like part of the reason why I think they go along with his bullshit for so long. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yes. What do you have next? You know, I, I won't lie. I, f- I feel like the chemistry between Buffy and Roy this episode is really good. Hmm. Like, I'm just like, yes, I do in fact want you guys to have sex. This is great. And like, <laughs> I don't necessarily always feel that way. Yeah, for sure. But I feel like especially seeing at the bronze where they're like dancing together. It's like, yes, y'all are really hitting all the notes here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel right. I also feel like happy f- about them making up. So, um, all right. My last thing here is the part where, you know, Willow and Tara clearly are not out yet to Buffy, but they're like very obviously together and they're saying goodbye when Tara's going to go to her room, but Buffy is there. Like that scene is charged. <laughs> Holy shit. They it is so well done. Just so incredibly well done. The, like, Willow, like, grabs her hand, but sort of is, like, also pulling away at the same time. You can just, like, feel how badly they want to kiss each other goodbye, but they can't. It is excellent. You know, I was watching that scene and being like, why why, why is, like, Willow letting Tara like, walk back to the dorm by herself in fucking Sunnydale? And, like, oh, right. Because Buffy doesn't know mm-hmm. that they're together only faith knows mm-hmm. uh i almost forgot one thing i had a lot of riley things today but riley in that peacoat also would do it for me yes it's very good welcome to the library where we talk about magic and science and magical science uh, I have only one thing. So famously in Something Blue, Buffy's like, you know, I don't think this will be done spells affecting me. It must be like because I'm the Slayer. <laughs> and uh-huh. it's just like, LOL. But I, I kind of wonder if, because obviously Buffy figures this out, you know, because like the magic is affecting everyone. It's affecting her. And she's even like, you know, a little bit less. She's like much less herself. But she's still like, something is weird about all of this. And so I actually can't tell if she maybe actually does have partial immunity to spells like this or if it's just sort of like that sort of uh, the sort of like critical thought process that makes Buffy a really good slayer. It's Mm. just like she can't like that can't go away, even if she like is a little clumsier and much less powerful than normal. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think. My instinct is to say that it's, like, her slayer magic is, like, sort of a protective thing specifically, around, like, of itself. Because it is an entity that exists separate from Buffy, right? It transfers from slayer to slayer. Right. I don't think she ever would have been, like, it's weird that he's good at so many things if she hadn't started thinking about it as a result of, like, I don't think that I'm performing like as I should or like would normally. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, that that does make sense. Um, Cause she doesn't really kind of get back in her groove until she's beating up. Like she's like physically harming the like antithesis of the spell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only have one thing here also, and it is can vampires get blood diseases from eating people? I guess I had always assumed not because they're not alive right but like adam says that the vampire wouldn't have wanted to eat that woman because she had a blood disease maybe it's like when you like bite into something you didn't realize it was moldy yeah maybe and you're like oh yeah because i do know in that terrible terrible swim team episode in season two is it the one where xander turns into a hyena no, he turns in, or he doesn't turn into a fish monster, but the swim team does. Oh, but Zan, or they're all being like dosed with like fish DNA steroids or whatever, and Angel bites one of them, and he like says that it like tastes bad. He doesn't want to eat it as a result of whatever's in their blood. So maybe it just maybe it just would taste weird. I don't know. I just thought that was a weird thing to say to be like, oh, you vampire wouldn't have wanted it because it has a blood disease, and it's like I, he's dead man like what is it how is that gonna affect him i don't know yeah 
I mean, there must be some kind of effect because I don't know if it's like Spike's big like intro thing where he talks about eating a like someone on LSD during Woodstock and like staying oh, that's in the right. for five hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a good story. Which what also a good visual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like Spike's in like a muddy tent, just like totally just out of his mind stoned. <laughs> Yep. Cool. We did it. Thank you all so much for listening to this very special bonus episode of The Gaily Prophet. If you want to check out the very goofy episode art, by which I mean my very own beautiful (laughs) Jonathan collage featuring a mountain lion, Mm -hmm. uh, that'll be on Instagram. So go follow us there. We're at The Gaily Prophet on Instagram and Still Twitter, question mark? Still, as of this date, Twitter. Yeah. Uh, if you feel if you like this episode, uh, feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes or tell all your friends about it. You can also check us out on our website, hashtag ruthless.com, where you can find our merch shop, which is, full, which is full of cool things, including a We Are The Gayers t-shirt. And sticker. And sticker. The We Are The Gayers logo is really great, you guys. Speaking as the person who made it, that maybe doesn't mean that much, but I think it's really great. I'm very proud of it. Um, yeah, the music in our little intro thingy is by Kevin McLeod, and the interstitial music for this episode. Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind. Yes. In the original Patreon version of this, it was All Star by Smash Mouth because Jesse made me, and I was like, this is too cruel. We can't. And then she had the brilliant idea of using Semi Charmed Life, which is way better. So, yeah, true. Yeah, way, much, much, much more on point, I think, for this episode. Yeah, definitely. All right. Until next time. It's the Hellmouth, bitch. Like, what? <laughs>